turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6 as we look again at this model prayer. We looked last, last Sunday afternoon, we looked at the prayer itself. As the, the disciples said in Luke chapter 11, and again Luke chapter 11 may be a different time from what is being told us here in the Sermon on the Mount when the Lord is giving them this uh, model prayer. But they asked there in Luke 11, Lord teaches to pray. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives this, this same model here to them. And again, this is not the Lord's Prayer, as we talked about last Sunday, but rather this is the model prayer. This is, this is how we are to pray. And the Lord gives us instruction here on the things that how we are to approach God, how we are uh, to start our prayers and, and pray our prayers, the things that need to be in our prayers. E.M. Bounds uh, said it best, and he said, Prayer honors God. It dishonors self. Prayer honors God. It dishonors self. And that indeed, as we go to the Lord in prayer, the Lord has given us this model for us to follow after so that we are indeed honoring God when we come to Him in prayer uh, and how we are to approach Him. Uh, selfish indulgent attitudes uh, pervade our lives. That's, it's hard for us to get away from self. But the Bible teaches us God is sovereign uh, and man is his servant. And so we are given to our Lord. We are to, we are to exalt him. We are to honor him. We are to obey him. And it should be our desire as his people, first and foremost, be our desire that we glorify God with our lives, with our hearts, with our thinking, with our attitudes, every part of us. It should be that very thing that we, that we uh, move in and mold ourselves in each and every day that with my life, with my actions today, with my attitudes today, with my heart today, I want to glorify my Lord. And so that, that has to be how we approach Him, especially, especially in prayer. Prayer, notice here, begins and ends not with our needs, but rather with the glory of God. It begins, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he ends it there, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And so it begins and ends with the glory of God. John 14 and verse number 13, John 14, verse number 13, the Lord says here, as he's teaching his disciples, as he's about to go away from them, as he's about to go to the cross, about to die, he's instructing them here in 
how to live without Him being there guiding them ever present physically in their presence. And He tells, tells them there, verse 13, Whatsoever ye shall ask in My name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in My name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And so he says, ask it in his name. In his name. We are, in other words, we are asking through Christ Jesus. According to the will of the Father, you see. And he says, in that pattern, he says, the Father may be glorified in the Son. And I will, and anything you shall ask in my name, I will do it, he says. And so our prayers should rather be concerned. When we come to the Lord in prayer, our prayers should rather be concerned with who God is, with what God wants, and how He can be glorified in us. Who God is, what He wants, and how He can be glorified in us. That's how we should approach Him in prayer. God is not a genie. He is not a genie to grant your every desire. Too often, however, that's what our prayers sound like. Wish one, wish two, wish three. <laughs> and we're, we're giving Him our list. Lord, I need you to do this today, and I need you to do this right here now, and, and, and as, quick, as quick as you can get to this one, take care of this one, and, and really, I, I've got a deadline on this, and I need this one done by the end of the week. You know, we, we give Him a list, and we, 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 we even put our little demands on it. But he's not our genie. It, our prayer should be, and there's nothing wrong with having those petitions, nothing wrong with having those things on our hearts. We're people, God knows it. He knows what we have need of. He knows what's on our hearts. He knows what those, those burdens are that are on us. And he tells us, bring them to him. And so don't be, don't be ashamed to bring them to Him. Don't be, don't be hesitant to bring those things before Him. But, but be mindful that our prayer is about glorifying Him. It is about worship of Him. It is about exalting Him. That's what it's to be about. To glorify our Lord. To have that place before Him. And so as we go through this, this model prayer, we're going to look at this over the, the next few weeks. We're going to break it down and look at each of these points that our Lord gives us here in this passage as He tells us here how that we are to approach God. Here Jesus presents a bold contrast to the substandard prayers that were common to the religious leaders of His society. He gives an example of that. You remember in, in, in Luke 18 where they have the, 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 the Pharisee and, and the publican praying and the Pharisee is praying thus with himself, the Scripture said, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other people. I thank you that I'm not so wicked and so sinful like all of the, all these other people. Look what they've done. I thank you that I'm not like these. Or I even like this publican here. And then he goes on, this is what I do. I fast twice a week. I, I do this, I do that. He points to all of his works. And that was his prayer. And the, Lord, the Lord's given something totally different here. 
as this example. Very much like the publican's prayer, he would not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven, but prayed, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Our prayers are to exalt our Lord. They are to worship Him. They are to glorify His name. And this is the pattern that our Lord has given us. This model prayer. Now, He begins, of course, with this phrase, Our Father, which deals with our relationship with him, father and child relationship. He goes next to hallowed be thy name. It's our worship of him that, that we, would, we would declare him, that we would, we would show him holy, that we would show him separate, that we would show him different, apart, higher than anything else. Thy kingdom come is the next phrase. It, showing there he is sovereign and we are subject to his Rain. The next is, is thy will be done. He is master. We are servant. Give us this day our daily bread. He is the benefactor and we are the beneficiaries of his blessings. Forgive us our debts. The Savior, we sinners. Lead us not into temptation. He is our guide and we are the pilgrims that are walking along the way. And so it, this, this prayer here defines for us the attitude and spirit we should have when we are coming before the throne of grace. And he begins here, our Father. Our Father. And man, what a privilege that we can pray to the God of all, the sovereign, the God of creation, the one who is above all things, who is absolutely holy, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, that we can come to Him and not only bring prayer to Him, bring our petitions, bring our worship, but that we can do so in a way that we declare our Father. Our Father. That we would have a relationship with him. And it's astounding that we can come to him at all. But the fact that we can come to him as our father. That's marvelous. That's absolutely marvelous. Because we are undeserving of the least of his blessings. And yet he has made us his own. That we have this place before him. That we can come in and, and bring our prayers and bring our worship and bring our petition before him. And so prayer, our prayer, as the Lord instructs us here, should always begin with that recognition that God is our Father. That we have that place before him. And why we have that place before him. He said, our Father. Now, we, uh, me and Josh were talking about this, I don't know, yesterday, the day before, or something like that, we were discussing prayer, and, and he brought up the point, what about when people say, Jesus, dear Jesus, when they start their prayer? And I, I thought, I said, well, it don't bother me 
when somebody does that. I don't get all tore up about it. Their, their desire is to be more intimate with him, and that's what they're trying to do. And the Lord knows how to direct the prayer. Our Lord's big enough, he can direct our prayer. He doesn't need, we don't have to follow all the form necessarily when we come, because sometimes we can't even say anything when we're coming to him in prayer. Sometimes all we can do is groan, and he knows what we have need of. But we should be, given the model that our Lord has given us, it should be our practice that we steer away from dear Jesus or dear Holy Spirit, that we should steer away from those things and do as the Lord has told us, our Father. Because we are praying to the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is because of Him that we have place before the throne of God. It is because of Christ that we are given that opportunity to come before the throne of God. And He says, pray our Father. And so that should be how we pray, our Father, which art in heaven. And so we come to, we have that place because of Christ Jesus. And so that should be our practice. We should, we should practice how he has told us, to, uh, told us to pray. Again, it don't bother me if I hear somebody else pray, dear Jesus. That don't, it don't get me all tore up. And it, it does, and, and I know the Lord's big enough. He can, he, he's going to, he's going to hear it. It's not going to affect how he hears it. But, but we should be practicing, as our Lord declares to us, our Father, which art in heaven. We should be coming to him, the Father, in our prayers, because it is how our Lord has directed us to pray. Again, it is because of Christ that we have that place before him. And this is how he has told us to pray. And so prayers should begin with that recognition of who we are in relationship to God, that he is our Father. An unbeliever, an unbeliever has a different spiritual father. And so he doesn't have this same place to come before the Lord in this prayer, in this way. As John chapter 8 and verse number 44 says, as the Lord is teaching here, he tells particularly the Jews here in John chapter 8 verse 44, he says, ye are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father will ye do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so the, the unbeliever has another spiritual father. His father is the devil. And so he doesn't have that relationship with God to be able to cry out our Father. And it means something to him, you see. This is a special privilege. A special privilege. The privilege of prayer is a special privilege because of who we are in Christ Jesus. Without that place in Christ, without that salvation that we have in Him, without His grace poured out on our behalf without Him dying in our stead on that cross, taking the punishment of our sins in our place and in return giving unto us His righteousness. We don't have this place to be able to cry out our Father. This is a wondrous privilege that is given to the children of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
You are either a child of light, the scripture tells us, or you're a child of darkness. Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 8. Ephesians 5 and verse number 8, Paul makes that statement here. He says, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You were sometimes darkness. That's, that's our condition before salvation. Dead in trespasses and sins, as he would say in chapter 2. But now we are made in Christ Jesus, made children of light. We're given a new place. Given a new person. We're made new creatures in Him. And thereby given this special place of relationship to our God. This is hard for many religious to understand today, but only... Only the believers are a part of God's family. And only the believers have this place that they can say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Only the believers are part of God's family. Uh, John records for us in John chapter 1 and verse number 12. John 1 and verse number 12. He says, But as many as received him, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are given that place by God in salvation. And those who have it will receive Christ Jesus. They will receive Him. They'll believe Him, you see. And so thus John's question that he asks all the time, can you believe? I love that question. Can you believe? Can you believe? Because if you can, it's because Christ Jesus has given it to you. You see, if you can, it's because you belong to him. If you can, it's because he died for you. He died for you. Can you believe? Because as many as received him, to him, to them rather gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, the Jewish perspective of God is one that, that we have given to us in the Scriptures. The Jews continually brought in other gods to worship. We, we see that um, even Abraham himself was called out of idolatry. We don't have no record of Abraham going back to idolatry, but it wasn't very long ago in his family we see, for instance, the idols of the land being brought in uh, to to their homes, it was a part of their tradition. Remember Rachel, uh, she, she stole Laban's idols, his household idols, and took them with her. She didn't want to leave home without them. And Laban come chasing to find where they were at because he wanted his household idols back, you know. And she hid them in, you know, under her candle furniture. And 
and he gave up and thought, well, maybe somebody else stole them from me, you know. So uh, that we, we already see very quickly that, uh, that that was a part of their life. The traditions of the land, the idols of the land became very much a, a part of the reality. Then you have the children of Israel coming out of Egypt after their, after their enslavement there. And that's, that's what we find even there is they bring those, those gods with them and the recognition of those gods in their lives. And they begin to, to raise them up and they begin to make idols even while they are in the process of leaving Egypt. They're going into the promised land. They go into the promised land. They do it there as well. They go pick up these gods from these other tribes that were around them or the other nations that were there. And they begin to, to, to bring those gods in and to worship after those gods. Now, they never did away with the worship of the God. But He just became another one. You see. He just became another one of the gods that they worshipped. And they, they would worship Him along with these idols. And they'd make their sacrifice to these idols and then they'd go make their sacrifice to God. And so it became uh, very quickly in a short range of time and then again throughout Israel's history, they, they brought in all of these other gods and they lost that perspective of God as Father. He lost that perspective of Him. He'd become just another idol. Now the faithful continued to see Him as Father and continued to encourage others to do the same. Uh, we read that there specifically in Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 5, down through verse number 8. Isaiah 64, verse 5, down through verse number 8. It says, Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee, in thy ways, behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. In those, in those is continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay and thou our potter, and we all are the work of thy hands. Isaiah is encouraging them here. This is, this is where our idolatry has led us. This is where our sin has brought us. We are as an unclean thing, he says. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But truly, our Lord, he is our father. We are the clay. He is our potter. We're the work of his hands. Can you believe it? 
the Jews had five basic elements in regards to God's fatherhood. He was the father of the nation. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse number 10. He is the father who is near. Psalm 68, verse number 5. He is a gracious father. Psalm 103, verse number 13. He is the guiding father. Jeremiah 31, verse number 9. And he is the father who requires obedience. Psalm 32, verse number 6. And so they recognized, they understood his, his fatherhood. Father of the nation, the one who is near, who's gracious, guiding, demanding obedience to him. And the Lord Jesus, he introduces God as the loving, beneficent Father. To those who know, love, and obey. Look in Matthew 7 with me, that verse beginning in verse 7. As he describes this place that we have before God. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask. And it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then being evil, <laughs> Jesus didn't beat around the bush here about who we are, did he? If ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? And so Jesus gives us an accounting here of the Father, that He is a loving Father to us. That He desires to benefit His people. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that, that all of His blessings, all of His benefits toward us that is described for us throughout the Scripture. He treats us as His children. That's how He treats us. That's, that's how He enjoins us. That's that's how He brings these things to pass in us as a loving Father to us. In all of His prayers, in all of His prayers that we have recorded as our Lord goes to prayer, He begins every one of them, Father. Except for one. Except for one. And that one is when he was on the cross. And he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And there, he's quoting the scripture. There, he is quoting a messianic prophecy. Him fulfilling that very thing as he hung there in our place. But every other prayer, every other prayer, he begins, Father, Father. The Lord emphasized 
personal and intimate relationship that God has with His children. And such a, such a relationship implies for us several things. And this list that I'm going to give you is just a few. There are probably innumerable things that we could apply to this relationship we have with our Father. But one is it dispels fear. It dispels fear. Perfect love, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, perfect love casteth out fear. In Him, we have that perfect love given unto us. We have a love that is unmatched, a love that, that, that is absolutely sacrificial for us. And that, that love dispels fear. We have nothing to fear because our Father is God. Nothing to fear because our Father is God. Now, does that mean fear won't come? No, it comes. We still have things that, that bring fear up in us. But that fear is because of our own sin. It is, that fear is because of we're people. That's the reason that fear is there. But we are to trust Him. And when those fears rise, we are to turn them toward our Lord. Because our Father, our Father is sovereign. Our Father rules. Our Father reigns over all of his creation. Our Father is in 100% control. And so there's no place, there's no place for fear when we are at his feet. Perfect love casteth out fear. And so it dispels fear. It also encourages our hope. Matthew 7 and verse 11, he says, if ye then being evil, as we've already read, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? There should, be, there should be a great deal of hope in us as the children of God, knowing that he is our Father. That should fill us with hope. Fill us with hope. And so it encourages hope. It also removes loneliness. Removes loneliness. Hebrews 13, verse number 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Matthew 28, I and lo, I am with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. It removes loneliness. It defeats selfishness. Defeats selfishness. Now, that may be a hard one. For us, because we don't always mind it when selfishness comes in us. It's not always a thing that we necessarily want to get rid of. You know. But when we recognize our place before Him, it can defeat it in us. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 18 This is after Paul says, put, all, put on that armor of God that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And he describes there the battle that we fight. 
But it's not with flesh and blood, but it's with all those spiritual forces of darkness that we fight against. And he gets down to verse 18, and he says, Praying always with all prayer. Now, he, he tells us there to put on the armor. Put on the armor. And the armor's there for us to stand. The armor's there for us to fight. The armor's there for us to be able to go into the battle. It's there to defend us. And there we are, in the battle, armored up, ready to fight. And what do we do with it? Pray. Pray for everybody else. When in the battle, when in the battle, when the darts are flying at us, and we're holding the shield for our protection, and we're, we're there on the battlefield, and it seems like the enemy is coming at us from every side, it's hard to take our attention off of us. But here he says, you're armored up. You're in the battle. You're in the midst of the fight. And Satan is hurling those darts at you. You've got your shield. You've got your helmet. You've got your sword. You're ready there. You're on the battlefield. And there you are ready to go. Ready to fight. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. When we're in the battle, it's not for us. It's for each other. It's for each other. Ephesians 4 verse 30 there, he says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. The relationship we have, the relationship we've been given in Christ Jesus, with our Father, defeats selfishness in us and focuses our hearts on each other. Or at least that's what it should do. It defeats selfishness. It provides for us resources as well. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All spiritual blessings in heaven, in heavenly places, rather, in Christ. It provides for us resources and it demands of us. It demands of us obedience. John chapter 6, 
and verse number 13. I'm sorry, John 6, 38. Excuse me, verse 38. Jesus gives it that point concerning himself here. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. He said, I came down not to do his will, not to do what he wanted to do, but rather to do the will of his Father. He gave himself wholly to do the will of his Father. John 14, verse number 15. He says, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so when you begin your prayers, by calling our Father. You indicate there your desire to come before His throne as one of His. You indicate your desire to come before His throne as His child. Knowing that as we come, knowing that, that we're given that place, as Paul says there in, in Hebrews chapter 10, that we can come in with all boldness even. That we come in knowing He loves you. Knowing that when we come, that we will find He is eager to receive us in His presence. To give power, to give blessing, and to give answer to the request of his children. And he will do, according to his purpose for us and for his glory, and he will give us hearts to receive that purpose to be concerned with his glory as we bring to him those petitions before his throne knowing 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 his will will be done and that when his will is done it'll be right it'll be perfect and it will be just. And we can trust him. We can trust him. Because he is truly our father. Our father. Earthly fathers can let us down. They can say the wrong thing. They can do the wrong thing. They can fail miserably in their work as fathers. Just ask my children. God does not fail.
does not fail. And so we have a great privilege to come in before his throne knowing that truly our Father, our Father is with us and that he has given us a place to come in before him, bring our praise, bring our worship, bring our petitions, that we might glorify his name. He being good, he being righteous, he being holy, gives good things to his children. Our Father. Let's have a word of prayer now. Father in heaven, we thank you again for this day.